you covered joining sports daily live executive producer of the chiefs radio network dan israel welcome back everybody sports daily on kfh and we are happy to be joined again this week as always by dan israel executive producer of the chiefs radio network we'll get right into it the chiefs uh, get the Jaguars this weekend, but let's look back at the game against the Titans first. Dan, a common theme among Chiefs fans I've heard this week that that was one of the most frustrating, strange games they had ever seen. Sometimes those go squirrely and go the wrong way, though, and the Chiefs found a way to win it. I think you just count it as a win and move forward, right? We'll uh, connect with Dan there. Not sure. Uh, we'll let Jad get that connection remade again. Uh Tommy, I'll ask you the same thing. I, I, everyone yesterday, just frustrated. That was the most frustrating game I've, I can remember watching. And, and my only answer to people is, that's what Mike Vrabel does to the Chiefs. Like, that's kind of his thing, right? They won the game. Like, yeah. count, who cares? Because, that, because those games too often go sideways in the NFL. Yeah, I, I didn't really feel, I don't think frustrated is the right word. Um, I looked at what the Titans were throwing out there, especially defensively, and I thought, okay, this makes sense. This is a bad matchup for Kansas City, uh, and it, they showed as much, you know, throughout the game. I mean, it was the Chiefs had scored nine points, you know, leading into the fourth quarter, and so yeah, I, I, I definitely didn't feel frustrated. I just kind of felt like, all right, hey, this is what this is what Tennessee does. That's kind of their thing, right? Dan uh, Israel joins us now. We got reconnected there, Dan. We were just mentioning the common theme for Chiefs fans here has been what a frustrating game to watch. But my contention is, man, that's variable. That's what the Titans do to the Chiefs, and they found a way to win it. So let's all just be happy about it. Frustrating game was twenty-seven to three last year. <laughs> that was a frustrating <laughs> there you go, game. Yeah. Uh, you're right. I mean, the, the Tennessee Titans are a physical team. They're not a finesse team. They're not a pretty team. They're not the sexiest football you're going to watch. But they're going to come in and they're just going to keep hitting you in the mouth until you fall down. And, and I think if you were expecting something different than that, I know the chiefs weren't uh, and it still caught them off guard a little bit. So, uh, and I would also throw in there while that wasn't the most, the prettiest offensive efforts on either side of the ball, defensively, there was a lot in that game to watch for, and there was some outstanding defense being played. So from that standpoint, uh, it was quite the game. It was, Dan, I feel like, and, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Tommy. Yeah, I feel like we could probably just record you um, one time talking about the incredible stuff that Patrick Mahomes does and then just replay it every single week. <laughs> uh, but, man, he took the game over in the fourth quarter and in overtime. Definitely seemed like that was a situation where, you know, he was like, look, just, you know, put the team on my shoulders. I'm going to go out there and make that happen. Your takeaways from uh, what Mahomes was able to do late in the game. Yeah, I think that's exactly what happened. I think they just got frustrated with the, the game plan wasn't quite coming together. And at some point, he just knew the only way that he was going to get this thing. A, it, we needed a spark, and he knew he could provide that. And, and I think that's the most amazing thing about this guy. You know, I think of the years, gosh, I've covered so many teams, so many Chiefs teams. And, and you know, the defense kept us in that game almost all the way, or all the way through it. But that's happened a lot in the past. The difference maker is that late fourth quarter, 
the, the Chiefs continue to play, and Mahomes is such a – Mahomes and Kelsey both are such a – I mean, this week it was Mahomes really and Noah Gray, but Mahomes has got that ability to just reach down to another level and kind of kick it in gear. And I think anytime you've got – you know, you've got a team surrounding a guy like that, it, it really does – it's the center of the tent – you know, it, it keeps the, the, the center of the tent up. And so everybody can get under there and kind of, uh, you know, be protected. He's that umbrella. And I, I just feel like, man, he just, he kept him in that game and he willed him to, to a tie. And from that point on, I think the chiefs reset and, and kind of played their football, but it was interesting because they kind of won the first quarter. And then the second and third quarters were certainly, in my opinion, Titans, although the third quarter, you might argue, could, go, could have gone back and forth. But it was late in the game when this thing came alive. And if you, were, if you stuck with it and you watched through all of that, you got rewarded. But, yeah, Mahomes, uh, I'm so glad this is our guy. That we're not talking about Brett Favre, Tom Brady, uh, John Elway. How many years I had to endure John Elway doing that to us? It sure is nice to be on this end of it. It's really interesting, too, Dan, because as frustrating as that game was on paper, when you look at it, almost 500 yards of passing, 68 attempts for Mahomes is not sustainable. Uh, All of those things that are like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, but the defense totally, I mean, I don't know if that was the best game the defense has played because you got to consider Malik Willis was the other quarterback and the Titans became very one-dimensional, too. But as far as clutch, I suppose, they were just making clutch stop after clutch stop when early in the game, Derrick Henry was getting what he wanted. And and it was kind of bizarro Derrick Henry, right? He started great but finished soft, and, and usually it's the opposite of that. I think the defense deserves some credit there. Even though, yes, it was one-dimensional, they still stepped up and stopped the best back in the league. Yeah, I agree. You know, I mean, uh, Tennessee in the second half, 23 plays just 38 yards and just one first down. In fact, their longest play in the second half was seven yards. I mean, when you look at Henry busting that, what was it, a 50-yarder in the first half, they did it. They made the adjustments necessary to keep the, the Chiefs in that game. So you do, you're right. You have to give them credit. I do think it's interesting, though, if, if you think about Mahomes throwing 68 passes, the record is, I think, 70, 71, 72, something like that. So this was almost a record-setting number of passes thrown. But guys, if you were to, if I were to show you the highlight of him throwing the ball at the end of the game, would you say that was a tired quarterback? I wouldn't. He was still slinging it around like he's 22 years old and in the first quarter. I was really impressed by that to to still have the energy and the and and the accuracy late in the game after throwing the ball all day long. Look, maybe he got up Monday morning and couldn't move his right arm. I don't know, but he sure looked good throughout that entire game and into overtime. I just, I was very impressed with his endurance because a lot of times when you got a guy who's, and he was throwing the ball hard on Sunday. I mean, almost too hard. There were some, there were some plays where I think if he'd put a little more touch on it, he could have completed those. He threw one to Kelsey about seven yards away. And I thought he was going to throw it clean through Kelsey. It even bounced off of Kelsey's hands. That's how hard he threw it. But I felt like he really had endurance there that was beyond expectation for as many plays, as many throws as he had, and as long as that game was, that was a long day at the office, gentlemen. I don't know if it felt that way watching it, but I can tell you working it, we were exhausted by the time that thing ended. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, you mentioned the defense and and the adjustments that they made uh, in the second half to really try to limit Derrick Henry. Uh, We know 
what Tennessee lacks, and it's the passing game. And Malik Willis looked in over his head uh, quite a bit, especially down the stretch. And we know that he didn't complete, you know, any passes to any wide receivers during the course of that game. But I really felt like, you know, Kansas City in the first half, the game plan going in had to have been just stacking the box and really trying to limit Derrick Henry. But there were some plays in that first half where, you know, they sold out on Derrick Henry. That kind of left Malik Willis with openings to be able to use his legs to get first downs. That really didn't happen a whole lot in the second half. Talk a little bit about the uh, adjustments that Steve Spagnola made defensively in the second half to not only limit um, Derrick Henry, but to also be able to get pressure and sacks on Malik Willis. You know, I, I think one of the main things they did was just to to slow down a tick, to not quite over-pursue. They were selling out so hard that sometimes they would just go by Derrick Henry or, or, or Malik, whoever had the ball. And I agree with you. I'm not sure why they didn't run Malik more because he was fairly effective with his legs and it gave them a weapon that they don't have with Tannehill. I, I thought he made a couple of good passes early in the game. Uh, he, he had a couple of long balls that were actually fairly accurate. He dropped them in between receivers and, and, but the, the, in the overtime, I just, you could just see his inexperience overwhelm him. Uh, I'm, I think the chiefs are fortunate that that wasn't Ryan Tannehill back there because I suspect Ryan Tannehill might've pulled something out that in overtime where Malik Willis just, he's, I don't think Ryan Tannehill at least would have taken the two sacks. Let's put it that way. Uh, but Malik seemed just a little overwhelmed there, but I think in general, what the chiefs did was just to say, Hey, look, Let's protect the edges first, then crash in. Don't just crash in with reckless abandon because if he gets by you, whoever it is, if they get by you, they're going to be wide open. There's nobody back there to protect that. So, And we saw that in the first half, right, with a couple of big, big plays. Uh, the, the, the absence of those in the second half indicates to me that they said, hey, let's, let's do this in an order that, you know, it's, it's not as important to tackle him for a loss as to keep him – down to one, two, three yards instead of seven, eight, nine yards or even more. Dan, when we talk about the Jaguars, they're an interesting team. They, And what I think could get interesting here is they've sort of unlocked another young, versatile running back in Travis Etienne. They have a quarterback who's looked good at times and not looked good at times, but they're a little bit healthier offensively. It's a second game at home. This shouldn't be one that the Chiefs struggle with. Any concern or any potential landmines in this one that you can find? You know, I I, I remember watching at the end in Clemson, and, and you know, I, I feel like if they can handle Derrick Henry, they should be able to handle Travis. Uh, I know that that maybe is a bit of a bold statement, but because uh, they're not the same backs you know I think Travis Etienne's maybe 210 pounds and I think Derrick Henry's closing in on 250 so I realize that's not the same kind of deal but I also would throw it to the opposite end of the football and 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 while they are the Jaguars are also a 34 defense which is what the uh, Titans are they are they do not have Jeffrey Simmons they do not have Autry they do not have Dupree so uh, as good as their defense can play they're not the Titans defense where they can pressure Mahomes. Cause I really felt like that's what the Titans were doing to Mahomes. They were pressuring him so hard, just not giving him time to do anything. And, and while you might look around and say, well, you know how this league is, you, you find a blueprint on something. The Titans almost won an arrowhead. That's a blueprint for beating, beating the chiefs. It isn't, it isn't because you got to have the personnel to do that. And, and I think one of the reasons that the, the 34 defense works so well with the Titans 
is those two line outside linebackers and that Jeffrey Simmons, he is a monster, man. I, I just I couldn't believe how effective he was. I watched him blow Joe Tooney over, and that cannot be easy. Jaguars don't have that. <clears throat> so I feel like it's going to be a little bit of a different game. You know, I would suspect that, look, it's any given Sunday, right? We always talk about that every week. But the Chiefs are coming in healthy. I, I think they'll have, you know, uh, a lot defensively uh, set up to, to disguise themselves for Trevor Lawrence. He's only two years in, and I, and I realize that he has that connection with, with Etienne, but, and, and is, you know, he's got several Clemson players on there that they all go back to, you know, uh, a, a powerful football college career, but uh, he hasn't had the success yet that I think that, that he had, that he's going to need. He hasn't had the experience yet. I should say that he's going to need to play the chiefs offense. Cause they've been really, really good at, at disguising their defenses. And frankly, I think, you know, having both Willie Gay back, and, and having Nick Bolton continue to just stop the run, it's going to be a long day for, for any of those running backs, whether it's Snoop Connor or even Hasty. All credit going back to the, the Titans game, you know, obviously goes to Mike Vrabel and, and what they were able to do uh, defensively. But the elephant in the room, I think, moving forward, at least for me, is the production from the running backs. We've talked about it multiple times. Pacheco, Edwards, Elaire, McKinnon, neither one of them or none of them any of the three got anything going uh, against Tennessee. You know, a lot of that had to do with what Mike Vrabel was throwing at Kansas City offensively. But, you know, I, I can't imagine a world where the Chiefs want to have Patrick Mahomes throw the football 68 times and have five rushing attempts for Pacheco, four for Edward Lair, and three for McKinnon. Uh, the balance was way off. A lot of that, like I said, the game plan that Mike Vrabel threw at them. But, do you see any sort of concern moving forward or is that an aberration as far as just the lack of effectiveness from any one of the running backs? You know, I, I would say uh, it always gives you concern, but I would say more than anything, that is really the way the Titans are designed. I mean, you, you said it, Rabel was a physical defender and that's the way he's constructed that. And, and, you know, uh, you had just a, a litany of, of defensive, physical defensive moments. And when you've got a very physical defense like the Titans do, that that creates, they play run first and they play pressure the quarterback versus coveraging. And, and so those two things don't go together. Having a great running game and having a physical upfront presence, you know, a strong front seven like that, uh, to me, don't go together. And so I would expect that the Chiefs would not have been able to run the football against the Titans uh, very well. I wouldn't have expected it to be quite so little rushing. I mean, I think the Chiefs had less than 75, no, 70, here it is, 77 yards of rushing. That, that I would not have expected. But uh, I, I think it's more an aberration that was created by the Titans and the way the Titans' defense is constructed than it is going forward. I really feel like, you know, guys like Jarek McKinnon um, – you're at a huge disadvantage when you're going up against uh, some of these guys that are almost 320 pounds on the, on the defensive line. That's just so much to ask a lineman to help you kind of, you, you've got to be able to push through that. And, and, and the smaller you are, the tougher that is. Pacheco certainly is better equipped for that. But I, I think the chiefs were very disappointed in that. They couldn't get the rushing game going, but, I think it's too early to call that a systemic issue with the running backs yet. I do think that's something they're going to try to have to, to kind of correct this week. You know, I mean, the, the 34 defense is 
should be something you could run the football on, right? I mean, in my opinion, you should be able to run the football on them. But the the Jaguars aren't the Titans. So I I think this will be a good test to see whether whether your issue is is a true one or not. Another, and this could go to the run game too, what did you think of the offensive line in that game? Because it seemed like, especially on the left side, and Orlando Brown, that was certainly not his best game. Um, I think we see some of the things why the Chiefs wouldn't make him the highest paid left tackle in the league. How how big of a concern this year do you see that? Because they kind of just got bull rushed around a little bit in that game against the Titans. Well, excuse my words a little carefully here because I sit next to people on the plane that would not like what I'm about sure. to say. Sure. But uh, yeah, I'm very disappointed in, in Orlando Brown. Uh, I think Wiley... You know, I, my expectations for Wiley are a little different than Brown, okay? Uh, and I knew that Brown was going to have his hands full, but I felt like he's kind of underperformed a little bit all year long. Um, he has moments where he appears to me to be a, a strong left tackle, but he has moments where the guys will blow right by him. He just seems too two ticks too slow, you know, and it's frustrating for me. I I think ultimately this is a man that's going to be disappointed that he gambled on himself because I think the chiefs offer for him last year will not be the same this year. I could be wrong and we'll see how the chiefs finish out, but I don't think he's put anything on film at any point to say, I am a, I was frankly shocked guys that he was a pro bowler last year. I, I didn't understand where that came from. Uh, you know, I I just didn't I didn't feel like his play on the field was producing that, and so I think this year we've seen a, a number of instances where he has struggled, and uh, you know he spends an awful lot of time physically on the ground uh, as a as an offensive lineman. That's the last place you want to be, right? You want to put your guy on the ground, and and so I, I feel like he's an area that we have to concern. I, I know there are guys inside that organization that love him and and feel he's you know, capable of doing what they need him to do. And and so I somewhat defer to them. But when I watch him, he seems to be struggling. And so I, I have grave concerns over Orlando, I, both tackles, frankly. I think they've got to get stronger. They've got to get better. Uh, are we going to play the strength of defenses all season long that we've been playing? No, probably not. But we will in the playoffs. And so when you get to the playoffs, we're going to have to have stronger play out of them, whether it's speed, whether it's, the you know, for whatever reason, Orlando seems to have struggled in the past, uh, prior to the Titans game, more with the passing block, more with passing pass blocking than rushing. And this week it was almost the opposite. So I think it's interesting to watch. It's certainly an area of concern for me. Uh, that's I'm not sure that the Chiefs feel that way. Um, and I, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But yeah, I'd like to see more out of both those tackles. All right, Dan Israel, executive producer of the Chiefs Radio Network. We just get word that Sunday night football now on the 20th will involve the Chiefs and the Chargers, so we can appropriately rearrange schedules on that end of things. Um, Chiefs, more Chiefs in primetime. I guess that doesn't surprise any of us here. What do you guys have in store on the Jags broadcast this weekend? You know, I think it's going to be a relatively interesting broadcast for us because it's a noon kick. <laughs> I just I can't remember the last noon kick we have if we've had one this year. It's it's the old fashioned, you know, uh, 
come from church uh, to watch the Chiefs game because they spend so much time in the afternoon slots and those prime time slots now, and and deservedly so, man. Look, those are entertaining games for the most part, and I get why the networks want us in there, and I would suspect the Chargers and the Chiefs is going to be an outstanding game. But Jaguars Sunday, I think, is going to be a relatively calm day. I don't even know if we'll have a guest yet on on our show, but uh, expect it to be a – it should be a good – Good broadcast starts at 11 so uh we'll get it kicked off and uh see what we can get done against the jaguars all right dan israel we appreciate it you can hear dan's call on the chiefs radio network knss this weekend chiefs jags a little bit of a scare against the titans maybe it won't be that way this weekend we appreciate it as always dan have a good call this week we'll talk to you next week thanks guys have a great week go chiefs all right there we go uh Man, that what a what a strange game! I just keep going back to they want it. Don't worry too much about it. We'll come back. We'll continue on Sports Daily. We'll give away some more movie tickets. Your thoughts on anything you saw on the college basketball opening night? Eight six nine twelve forty. Shocker fans, KU fans, Wichita uh, uh, K State fans. Now's the time to chime in if you want to. We'll be right back on Sports Daily. Welcome back, Sports Daily, KFH. Been a uh, been a packed and fun show as we got e- uh, we got uh, each of our three Division One men's teams opening their seasons last night. Just chatting it up with Dan Israel from the Chiefs Radio Network. If you missed any of that, you can always go back and listen. KFHRadio.com. A big story yesterday is Jeff Saturday has been named the interim coach in Indianapolis. Frank Reich was hired or fired yesterday and Jeff Saturday steps in. Jeff Saturday does not have any coaching experience outside of high school. He was a high school head coach for three or four years and he steps in and he's going to be the interim coach here. He's a Colts legend, Tommy. Uh, I think pretty widely respected among his peers. If you've ever seen him on TV, he's a smart guy. I, I don't know. I, I think people are trying to make a big deal out of this. This is very clearly a placeholder spot. So I, I don't like the big picture anger here. I don't really see because he's not being hired for any real position for any real amount of time. The Colts are tanking, right? They're tanking this year. They're not. I mean, they're not. It's not that they're trying to lose games because I don't think it's that. It's that they're not concerned about this year. And they just needed a placeholder. And Jim Irsay probably thought, hey, this will be fun for the fans. Let's bring in Jeff Saturday. Yeah, but Jim Irsay in the press conference last night said that he hopes that it's for longer than just eight yeah, games. No, nah, um, I don't believe you know, that for a second. I, it's kind of interesting. Like last week I was watching ESPN and uh, Jeff Saturday was on. And I, I caught myself watching it and, and thinking to myself, I really like Jeff Saturday. Like, and I've always liked him. I never really like thought about it specifically until that moment, but I feel like he's a smart guy. He gets it. He's well spoken. Um, Of course we know what he did playing 
And that's great. And I like Jeff Saturday on TV. This is bizarre. Like, I don't think we've ever it's, seen anything it is like bizarre. this. Yeah, uh, it's, it, it's really, really weird. Um, now, clearly, this is a strategy. I mean, the, the, the Colts, they, they need to, we talked about it yesterday. They need to find a long-term solution at quarterback. This plug-and-play deal, we're trying to get really good players around the quarterback and then bringing in somebody for a year. It's not working. It's not going to work. Uh, and so they need a long-term solution. So if they can get close to the number one pick, then maybe they can have that solution. Um, it's a weird position for Jeff Saturday to be in because, sure, like he's going to want to come in there and win. I don't think he would have taken the job if Jim Irsay had said, hey, um, we need you to come in and lose every game. The, you know, the last eight games, we got to lose them because we got to get that number one pick or whatever it is. Uh, we got to get in the top five. I don't know. Like it, It's weird because, yeah, he's going to want to win. He doesn't want to tarnish his legacy in, in Indianapolis. Um, but sure. clearly the tank job is on, right? Yeah, I mean, look, I don't think the tank job was on when they pulled Matt Ryan because they didn't want to pay him and they knew it wasn't going anywhere. So I think you can both tank and not try to lose sort of at the same time. Teams are never going to go out there and try to lose. But you can do things organizationally to look to the future early, like not have Matt Ryan play. Like fire your coach and bring in a uh, a a franchise legend to just sort of try and appease the fan base in in the short term while you get this thing figured out long term. The bottom line is, you know, Jim Irsay's had his moments off the field, right? But the Colts, and he he had interesting terminology for this yesterday. I think quartile. Uh, what? It, but the Colts are, are historically now, and it's because they've had two great quarterbacks in a row in Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck. They win a lot of games, and they don't have a lot of off years. They timed their off year to get Andrew Luck really, really well, and you wonder if that's not you know something that could happen for them now. I mean, it's what Jim Irsay knows to win football games. Jeff Saturday, look, he's a young guy, 47, sort of young. I guess not young by by today's standard in the NFL for a head coach. You know, I don't know, and the, the the part of this that I think people are sort of perking an ear up about is the Rooney Rule aspect, and I just, I, I don't know what the exact verbiage in the rule is in a situation like this on an interim basis. I think I don't have as much concern there because I I would give the chances of Jeff Saturday being the coach there next year like less than 10%. I, I just don't think it's going to happen. I think that they're going to evaluate things and by the way, the Colts had Jim Caldwell as a coach for a long time and Tony Dungy. So I don't worry about that also at, from them as an organization. But I, I think this is more about, hey, fans, bear with us. We're going to have some fun with this. Jeff Saturday's coming in. I suppose if they go on a crazy win streak, Jeff Saturday could come back. But I, it, again, I, I just don't think that's going to happen. Um, and I think this is just a temporary thing to, to figure out what they want to do long term as, as an organization. Yeah, that's my big question is what happens if they win? Um, well, I mean, got, I guess that's a good problem, right? It's they've fine. got some talent on the roster, but I mean, is it a good problem, though? Because, you know, you still have that that lingering issue of who is going to be your quarterback long term. Uh, and if, if they want to, if Jim Mercer wants to solve it through the draft, they can't win. They can't win well, and be she, able yeah, to solve can. their long term quarterback. No, they can't. I mean, yeah, Patrick you got Mahomes a good... wasn't the first quarterback taken in the draft. You yeah, just have to evaluate I mean, it the right way. He was the tenth, though. I mean, if they they're three, five, and one right now, they're not even out of winning their division at this point. We talked about this yesterday about you know, yeah, Tennessee by virtue of the division will probably win, but I mean, Tennessee or uh, Indianapolis is not. Out 
out by any means. They could win. They could win the division. They could go to the playoffs. Like, they're not over at this point through nine weeks. There's some talent on that roster. Michael Pittman Jr. is a great wide receiver, and I know Jonathan Taylor is injured right now, but he's probably the best running back in the NFL. They've got talent, especially offensively. I think a concern is the fact that nobody on that staff has ever called plays before. That's a problem that you got to try to figure out before they play the Raiders. Uh, but they could win, and there goes that idea of all right. Well, we could you know go and find a franchise quarterback in the first couple picks in the draft. Um, so I, it's going to be really, really interesting to see how the remaining eight games plays out. Um, I mean, what happens if they go? I don't know, six and two in their last eight games, they make the playoffs and. They They're won't. not picking in the first 10. They, they, they could. They could. They won't. They won't. It's, but they could. But the other, the other thing is, it's not – I don't know that this class has the Andrew Luck in it anyway, right? I don't think – I think this quarterback class is good and deep, but I don't think it is no question who the top guy is going to be. So Mahomes – Mitch Trubisky was drafted ahead of Patrick Mahomes, Right. And Deshaun Watson, by the way. The very next year, Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold were drafted ahead of Josh Allen and then throw in Josh Rosen, and those three guys were drafted ahead of Lamar Jackson. So you don't have to do—you just have to evaluate quarterback the correct way, especially in a deep class. Like, you got to pick the right guy. But—and it's nice to have the first pick, but it's not— it's not the only thing that matters. More than anything, you have to evaluate them the right way because you can always trade up and down. Uh, now you have to give up some things to get it. Yeah, they could. They could. I, I suppose turn it around, play better defense, and run the ball effectively. But I, but what what does that lead to? Chance at a playoff spot? Maybe AFC's loaded. I highly doubt it. Are they going to catch Tennessee? That would be the other opportunity. Tennessee seems to be playing pretty well to me. So. I, I don't I don't know that this move I wouldn't make this move if I were Jim Ursay. I would, you know, elevate somebody there on the staff probably. But it's a wacky zany thing and he's kind of a wacky eccentric zany owner, so it doesn't surprise me. And I, again I just don't think it's gonna be that big of a deal. I think that they're gonna lose plenty of games down the stretch to be in a position to draft a quarterback and they'll make their change at coach in the offseason. Well, my counter to that is, you know, if if they, they don't have the luxury to draft a quarterback like the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes and give him a year to develop behind Alex Smith. That's what Kansas City did. Indianapolis doesn't have that luxury. Uh, they've got to make sure that they draft a guy. If they want to go that route, they need to draft a guy that can start right away. And that's really going to limit the number of quarterbacks. Like Josh Allen didn't start right away in Buffalo. He took a little bit of time you know, to get ready for that. So they don't have that luxury and the plug-and-play method hasn't worked for them. So they're in a really, really difficult position because they've got to make sure that, yeah, they evaluate well. And sure, you could find somebody late in the first round or in the second round or something like that. Um, but they need to make sure that that person is ready to play right now. That does limit the quarterbacks that you can draft, that can you can, you can plug right into an NFL roster right this second. It's, um, yeah, it, it, it's it you gotta the Colts the difficulty the Colts face to me right now is evaluating what they are as an organization. Are they a team that thinks they can compete next year or not? And good luck because I don't know the answer to that. I think they could be. I think that's optimistic. I also think there's a really good chance they're not. So 
you don't have to draft a quarterback and play him right away. The first thing you have to do is draft the right quarterback. If they're not ready and you want to bring in uh, Andy Dalton or whoever it is to fill the gap while you get that quarterback ready, the most important thing for that organization to do is to solve quarterback, right? How that happens, I think it depends on the player. If they have the guy that can come in and start right away, good for them. If they have a guy but they think he needs to sit, that's the decision you have to make. You have to do what's best to solve that position. I think the difficulty for them is they're just good enough in other places to feel like they can be a contender, so you have to balance that in a little bit. If you're really, really bad, like when the Jaguars took Trevor Wilson, uh, Trevor Lawrence, now they screwed it up by hiring uh, you know, the, the wrong coach, but if – if you bring a young guy in that is ready and you just take your lumps with losses, that's one thing. I don't know that the Colts are going to be in that position. Time will tell if they're in that position. If they are pretty good and feel like they contend and they go get the right guy and they don't think that guy's ready, I wouldn't have a problem if they go placeholder approach because even more than contending in that very year, solving quarterback long-term is the most important thing you can do in the NFL. So... Just focus on that solely. Make sure you draft the guy you feel like is the right guy. and and But you also have to evaluate your team. And they're a tough team to evaluate because they are talented. If that was their method and their strategy, then they would have never benched Matt Ryan. Uh, because you could keep Matt Ryan as a placeholder for another year or two if you wanted to. That's well, not his what contract is tricky. His contract is tricky. And the part of that for them is they free themselves of his money if they made the change now. So they didn't feel like they were going anywhere with Matt Ryan. So then they're going to make the financial decision to that they need to make in that regard. He I mean, wasn't wouldn't gonna, it be it, great to have, wouldn't it be great though to have the luxury of, even if Matt Ryan is playing poorly, and even if you're paying him for the next season or two, then you, you can go and you can draft somebody who can then develop for a year and then bring them can, in. And then you, you don't have to start pay, giving things away and all of that. But you can pay a quarterback that stinks. To, I mean, you can pay a quarterback to – if Matt Ryan's going to stink, you can pay some other quarterback way less to come in and stink, right? Like you, you don't have to pay – you don't have to pay big bucks to Matt Ryan for that. There will be guys that can be placeholder guys. Teddy Bridgewater's going to need a job. Uh, Ryan Tannehill might need a job. Jimmy Garoppolo might need a job. Like there's going to be some other guys that can be your placeholder guy that aren't as expensive as Matt Ryan potentially was to them. I, I – it – but and they may draft kind of like how Philip like Rivers was a guy, and well, but Carson they never Lynch was a guy. Matt Ryan problem, was a guy. None of those not, weren't. But they didn't have. They weren't trying to groom anybody else with those guys. They were trying to have those guys be the guy, right? That's the difference now. And and it maybe it isn't the difference. Maybe they decide they want to contend next year and they take this approach again. That's the hard part of their evaluation. Is they have some good, talented young players. Do they go all in with a rookie? Or do they groom somebody? I don't know. But, you know, hiring Jeff Saturday, which is where we started, I don't think is going to have much impact on what they do next year because I don't think he's going to be the coach next year. Uh, maybe he wins a bunch of games. I don't know. It's a very curious hire that probably 31 other owners in the NFL would never do. But Jim Irsay, he's the guy that decided to go that route. I don't know. Maybe the Al Davis family would, would make a decision like that. I, but, but it's a strange move. Indianapolis... I don't know if I want to call them a mess right now, but they're pretty close. 869-1240. We'll come back. Last full segment of the show coming up next.
love this song. Still my favorite hype song ever, Tommy, I think. Uh, which is just strange, but I can't I just can't quit it. I can't quit it. Uh you journey guy? Oh, of course. You're gonna go see them in April at I'm the arena? I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. I'm gonna have to get over my sticker shock, I think, but I've <laughs> I've thought about it. I've thought about it. Uh it's I, I always wonder, like Inroad Radio Guy, that you're a good resource on this. Like, who is the greatest American rock and roll band of all time? Oh, man. Uh, the it, greatest American it, rock band. You're putting yeah, me on the is spot it Journey? Here. Is it Aerosmith? No. Do the Chili Peppers into the conversation? Do the Foo Fighters into the conversation? Do the Eagles qualify, like, as rock and roll? Like, I, I don't ever yeah. know how to answer. It's a hard question. Um, yeah, man, I, I think probably Aerosmith, um, probably Aerosmith, right? I mean, the, I, maybe I, top three. Maybe. I don't know. I have a hard time figuring I, out the I do the too, because one. you gotta, you've got to factor in longevity and that's where like yeah. the chili peppers would actually enter, I think, into that conversation. Um, it's hard to imagine, but the food fighters have now entered the longevity conversation, right? Because they're still relevant. Aerosmith was what they are maybe one generation before, Metallica, are they rock and roll or yeah. are they metal? Right, like I don't know if they're if you qualify Metallica as rock and roll, it's probably Metallica because of just success. But I'm not sure they qualify as rock and roll as much as metal. Um, I don't know. I think you, maybe I think maybe the Eagles would be in the top three. Maybe like the Eagles, Aerosmith, and but isn't Journey there? Isn't Journey there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think Journey gets overlooked a lot because of I do too. Just the um the sheer like radio friendliness of what journey is now, like on the classic rock side. Um, and that's not a knock on them. You but... can't miss with the journey song. Like you can't yeah. miss. I, I always ask people that. And sometimes we bring up bands and we forget they're not American. Right. Like yeah. we, it's like, Oh, ACDC for sure. Wait, no, right. uh, a queen queen. No, wait, hang on. Like it, it's a hard question. I love that question because it really is kind of the hard Stones. to answer. Yeah, like they're they're not American. There's too many. Yeah, um, no. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a fun one. Um, there are a lot of bands though that that rock that like. Where's Muse Led Zeppelin? From? Not American. Not American. Where's uh, uh where's where's Muse from? Because I think they're a great rock and roll band. They, they're never mainstream I, enough to be this, but I think they're like Australian or English. Yeah, I, don't know. Or, I think they're not American. I, I know that. Yeah. And and you rock too. and roll U2's is not American. Nope. Rock and roll sort of died too. Our intro song uh, comes from Jet, a band I had all the hopes in the world for to be like the next great rock and roll song, but it's like a dying genre. My uh, girls, and now my son to a lesser degree because he's not quite old enough, like my girls and I love, we call it Rocky Roll. Like we love just rocking out to whatever. Like they're into it. They 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 love it. Uh, we had, <laughs> this is, so when we first introduced Rocky Roll, like I had him throw in the goat, right? Like I was like, yeah, this is how you throw the goat. You, you, you just, you head bob and you do all this fun stuff. And then I was like, oh, wait, they're in preschool and pre-K. Um, we can't have you throw in the goat. So we changed <laughs> throw in the goat to a peace sign. So now when they do Rocky Roll, they throw the peace sign and jam out. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's fun. I love rock and roll. I love Journey. And yes, I might go see them. Hmm. I, I think it'll be a blast. I'm mad that I didn't go see Metallica. I'm pretty upset I'm really, with myself. I'm really mad that I didn't see the Eagles uh, before Glenn Fry died. That was yeah. like, you know, like they came sure. to Wichita. I didn't go. I thought, oh, I'll have another chance to see him. Nope, didn't get a chance to. I love the Eagles. I'm not sure that I would say they're a rock band. 
That's the only reason I don't ever say Eagles in that because I. Well, the, if you can I, qualify the, Metallica as a rock band, then you can. Well, qualify I don't the though. Eagles I I would say band. Metallica's metal because if Metallica's a rock band, you can't argue with their success, and you'd have to just give them the nod, right? Because they've been so insanely pop. But I don't think they are. Not like rock and roll, like some of the foreign bands you've that we've discussed here. It's a great topic. Uh, spend some time with it. Think think about it because American rock band. It's it's a. It's kind of a loaded question. We'll come back. We'll put a bow on sports daily or rock and roll daily, whatever it is that you choose.